All right, today we're in week two of our series called Trump Card, where we talk about playing cards and use that as, a, um, as an analogy. But last week we talked about insecurities. If you missed that, I encourage you to listen online. In the card game of Euchre and other, and other games, certain suits are Trump, which means when those cards are laid, they prevail over any other card that might be there. Even if that card is a high card, typically a Trump card will prevail. Today at 4 p.m., we're having a Euchre tournament. You're welcome to come if you know how to play. If you don't know how to play, you're welcome to come, and I'm sure we'll have lots of games going on. So bring a snack, 4 o'clock, and, uh, and we'll start using terms like turn down a bow or lose for an hour and terms that make no sense in normal life, but when you're playing Euchre, they make sense. So, uh, so we're, this is where we're going this month. You and I need to be reminded of the trump card of God's Word, that the trump card of God's truth wins the promises of God always trump the perception in our minds. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, Beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. My biggest critic is within me. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. It's the temptation to replay the mistake over and over in your head. And so the battle for the control of our heart our lives begins in our minds. And this is where we're at this month, exposing the lies that we may be be, uh, believing in our minds and then being reminded of and encouraged of the trump card of God's word and of God himself. The Apostle Paul speaks of this battle in our minds in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. He says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The trump card of God's truth prevails over any thought that we might have in our, in our heads. God's word has the explosive power to demolish and destroy the strongholds in our minds, so instead of being taken captive by our thoughts, we will instead take them captive, make them obedient and bring them under the authority of Jesus. Last week, we talked all about our identity in Christ, and that if we know Jesus, that if we're in Christ, that's what the Bible calls that, that if we're in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is given to dwell inside of us, and our lives are now anchored or eternally tethered, if you will, to Jesus. What I found, though, is that discovering who you are in Christ is not this one-time event. It's not like you probably walked out of last Sunday's message or you, you listened to it on the podcast and got done and thought, well, I'll never struggle with insecurity again. I'm good. Check. I got that one. It's probably not that way. Being reminded of, of who you are in Christ is this ongoing, lifelong uh, process. Being a follower of Christ is, is not about perfection. It is, though, about progress. Making progress by the grace of God, where you can look back at your heart or life from a year ago and say, I'm not the same person I was there. My trust in God has increased. I can see patience, more patience in me. I get less easily irritated than I did before. When trials or circumstances change on me, my faith in Christ is more secure than it was a year ago. I'm less tempted to chase after after sin than I was a year ago. I'm more likely to take God at his word than I was maybe then. This is making progress in your walk. When it comes to battles in our, in our minds, my prayer is we'd make significant progress this month. We'd get humble and authentic before a loving and almighty God. And today what I want to talk about is, is fear. 
and our thoughts of fears, if not taken captive or made obedient to the truth of God's word, they will imprison us. They will lock us up in a stronghold, and as a result, they will paralyze our faith. They can keep us from making that progress that God intends for us to make. Our fears can put um, a stranglehold on us where our lives are more defined by, by our fears rather than our faith, more defined by our perceptions rather than the person of Christ. Each of us in this room or listening on the podcast need to understand the reality that there is a spiritual war taking place around us. It's been happening ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3. Jesus gives us the devil's mission statement in John 10.10. 10. It's, it's very simple. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his mission statement. Jesus also tells us in, in John 8.44 that the only language, the only words the devil speaks are lies. Those are the only words he even knows or speaks. Even if you're new to church or you're new to exploring who Christ is, you will admit that there is evil in this world. There's evil all around us. There is most definitely a spiritual war taking place. And our spiritual enemy would love for you and me to become distracted. In other words, where the truth of who you are in Christ would be slightly twisted. Or the truth about who, you, who God is would be corrupted. Or, or we would begin to believe lies about who our God is. And when we lose sight of the trump card of God's word, when we lose sight of the trump card of God's nature and character, the one trap we can fall into is the stronghold of fears. Consider in Genesis 3, when the serpent has lied to Adam and Eve, uh, deceived them, they eat from the tree that they're not supposed to, and in that moment, sin enters the world for the first time. And God's perfect creation, His perfect harmony between Himself and humans is broken and fractured forever. With sin came death, loss, sickness, and among other things came fear. And in Genesis 3, we read this exchange, start in verse 9. But the Lord God said to the man, where are you? He answered, or he answered I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? In Adam's response, we see fear. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Sin enters the world and up until this point, there's no fear. There's no fear. But now fear is here. And one of fear's goal, goals is to push us into hiding, to isolate us, just like it was with Adam. To say to God, I heard you, but because I was afraid, I hid. And if we misinterpret who God is, then again, we will find ourselves in this stronghold of fear that needs to be demolished by the, strong, by, by the explosive power of God's word. Martin Luther said this, I more fear what is within me than what comes from without. And the battle begins in our minds. If you have a Bible, open it up to uh, 1 John. We're going to be looking at a couple verses in chapter 4. Uh, if you need a good Bible, you want to give a free Bible to somebody you're trying to reach or share your faith with, you're welcome to grab one off Guest Connections when you leave. But uh, last week we compared how a song can get in our heads uh, and we just kind of sing it over and over basically in, uh, until another song gets inserted into our mind. And we compared to how we often replay inaccurate thoughts or lies over and over in our heads. And so today, my hope, again, is that we might sing a new song, a song that is based off the truth of God's word and, what, and, God, and, and the truth that God says he will, and not based off of fears we might have that float 
in our minds or hearts. The favorite song of fear is this. It's called the What If song. And the What If is the refrain or the chorus that we sing over and over and over. I remember as a kid, it's funny the things you remember, uh, but I remember as a kid I was at a basketball camp and I was singing this one line from, uh, from an NXS song, I-N-X-S, child of the 80s, early 90s, some of you. Um, I didn't cuff my jeans today, I thought about it, but, um, but I believe it was a new sensation, new sensation, and just like over, just, that just, some of you know that song? And I kept singing the song, new sensation, a new sensation. And eventually, the guy next to me said, um, and it's, again, it's funny what you remember. He goes, do you know any other parts of that song? Because <laughs> you just keep singing this thing over and over. Point taken. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. I didn't know, even know your name, but thanks for calling that out in my life. Um, I probably didn't know any other words of the song. I, I still don't. I'd have to Google to find out what other words there are. So he rightfully called that out. When it comes to fears, we sing this line, what if, over and over and over. What if I try something I've never tried before and I look like an idiot? What if I, a- I ask someone a question about the Bible uh, that I really don't understand and what if I look silly? What if I look like I don't know anything? What if I'm supposed to know this because I'm a Christian? What if I confess that I'm struggling with this sin and what if people look down on me or my image gets tainted? What if I share that I'm struggling to get into the Bible on a consistent basis and what if everyone looks at me like I have a third eyeball? What if I try to do something kind, generous, and loving for another person and what if they take advantage of me? What if, what if I'm generous and put God first in my finances and what if God doesn't meet my needs? What if I set out to pursue a new level of discipline in my life, but then I fail and I just look silly for trying? What if I fail? What if I tell that person or friend about my faith in Christ or the good news of Jesus? And, and what if they ask me a question I don't really know? Or what if they just laugh at me? What if I take the lead in this relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend and say, you know, we, we need to change some things in order to honor God? And what if that person leaves me as a result? What if another birthday passes and I'm still not married? What if I begin to serve others and what if nobody appreciates or notices me? What if the phone rings late at night and what if my life is never the same after that? What if my child gets into an accident? What if my child is not quote-unquote successful? What if I don't get into that college or what if I don't get in that, that major? What if I interview for that job and what if I don't get that job? What if I completely obey Jesus in this one area, and what if nothing changes? What if, what if, what if? And the song goes on and on and on. Here's another what if that some of you are facing specifically. What if I give my life to Jesus completely, wholeheartedly, and begin following Him as Lord? And the fear of what, of what will happen is keeping you from surrendering. You're in the stronghold of lies that on the other side of putting your faith in Jesus is going to be, you're, you're assuming that something is going to be scary or unknown. Well, here's what's on the other side of following Jesus. Joy, freedom, forgiveness, new life, salvation, love. Don't allow the devil to whisper to you any other lie that would tell you otherwise. Because remember, his mission is to steal, kill, destroy. 
His mission is full of lies. Jesus tells us in that same verse that He has come to give us life and life to the full. I can tell you which one I'd take. I can tell you that the greatest decision in my life was a decision of surrender, a decision to let go, to shift my faith away from Dave, which is difficult, still is, and on to Christ. It was a decision that, that changed the course of my life, saved my marriage long before I was married, changed my family tree long before I had kids. It was a, a decision that would lead to victory over sin, overcoming of addiction. Ultimately, it was a decision that, that simply responded to the grace of God. His grace is what saved or is saving me. I'm not kept tethered. You're not kept connected to Jesus out of your commitment or your decision. If so, we'd all stink at it. But rather, we're kept connected because the unbelievable, unbreakable grace of God. So it's not Jesus, I'm holding on to you. And it's not that. It's Jesus holding on to you, even when you don't want to be held on to. The point of my surrender or the point of, of me repenting and believing, is just where it began. When I responded to the grace and love of God and His invitation that salvation is this free gift of faith. See, some of you need to respond to that grace and love today. You need to make this decision to surrender fully to the only true God who is more than faithful to a thousand generations. Do not let the fear of the unknown or what's on the other side of that keep you from following him wholeheartedly and dropping whatever you're doing and just, can, just beginning to follow. Fears have this way of holding on to us, holding us hostage. Consider the second stanza of the song Amazing Grace. If you know it, uh, sing it with me. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. The part of that song reminds us of two biblical truths related to fear. First of all, that God's grace taught my heart to fear. Secondly, that God's grace relieved my fears. Now, that sounds contradictory at best. That sounds like this paradox, but they're not, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The stronghold of fear can drive us to a place of spiritual complacency. It can cause us to shift into neutral uh, and not move. It can lead to our disobedience or our unwillingness to do what God has called us to do. And listen, fear has this way of robbing you of the joy and the peace and the hope we have in Christ. So let's look at how God's Word blows up this, this stronghold. First of all, the line from Amazing Grace says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." See, there's one fear in the Bible that is endorsed and commanded of by God, and that is the fear of God, that we would live in awe-inspiring reverence of God. Psalm 111.10 tells us that the beginning of, of wisdom, or the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. When we live in the fear of God, we understand His holiness, His perfection, His majesty, that He's never tasted sin, He's never been near it, His truly awesomeness. And then we also understand, in light of that, His great, that this great, almighty, perfect, universe-creating God 
created you and he created me and he's pursued us with his love and and through christ he's come near he took on flesh to dwell among us and even though we've sinned and and rebelled and he offers us salvation by grace not by works but by faith when we realize all of that truth then we understand the line that twas grace that taught my heart to fear better because knowing that i've been shown incredible grace by a God that I did not deserve to be shown such grace, not because of something I've done, but because of His love, well, then I want to live the rest of my life in reverence to Him. I don't want to be apart or away from Him. I I want to live in the freedom of being under His eternal protection. So yes, fear God. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. But don't let your fear of the what-ifs hold you hostage. And grace, my fears relieved. When we begin to allow the what-ifs to become louder than, uh, than what God says, then fear, really, is beginning to enslave us. And it's the very grace of God that relieves us from those fears. 1 John 4, 18 and 19, main verses for today. It says this in the ESV, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. We are prone to want to get rid of uh, fear at any cost. So sometimes we turn to a substance to, to numb that, that fear for a while. I mean, the alcohol, it'll make you fearless, won't it? Until you're sober again. The sinful escape to porn, food, drugs, sex outside of marriage, whatever it is. It will cause the fear to subside for a little while, only to return again at the end. Or we can think by running away, we will avoid our fears or rid ourselves of it. So, so we're terrified of a failed marriage, and so we're going like to beat it to a punch. So instead, we're going to run away before it fails. In effect, doing it earlier. What John is telling us in this verse is that there is and there should be only one means to rid ourselves of all fear and that is the perfect love of God. But here's something I know about you and me. I know about each one of us. None of us have perfect love for God. All of us are tempted to begin to see the things of this world as a little bit more attractive at times than our God. And yet, we're making progress in our love for God. And in verse 10 in chapter 4, it tells us about this perfect love because while we don't see it in us, this side of heaven, we do see it in the nature and character of our God. Verse 10 says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In verse 19, we love because He first loved us. And His love for you and me is a perfect love. And his perfect love expels fear. It drives fear out. Jonathan Edwards said this, God hath so ordered that when love rises and is in vigorous exercise, then fear should vanish and be driven away. For, when they, for, the, for then they need it not, having a higher, more excellent principle and exercise to restrain them from sin and stir them up from their duty. He goes on, fear is cast out by the Spirit of God no other way than by the prevailing of love. Love is the trump card. 
it prevails. It's the love of God that restrains us from sin and stirs our hearts to obedience. It's not the law, it's the love of God. The solution to our fear is to elevate and love Jesus, to be fully captured by the love of God where the fears or the, or the what-ifs of this world take their rightful place under His amazing love. As a parent, we have two kiddos. They're both teenagers, and uh, you could pray for us, but as a, as a parent, I don't want my children to obey God because they're terrified of Him or because they're terrified of going to hell. It's not just the grace of God that taught our heart to fear. It's also the grace of God that relieved our fears. If their obedience to God is simply out of fear, they will be held in hostage and in bondage for generations. And then when they blow it, they won't run to God. They won't run to Him because they don't understand the grace of God. They only, they only understand the law of God. Or they'll run and hide or they'll fix it on their own and exchange one sin for the other. So then they'll puff up a spiritual pride and say, man, did you see how I did that? Boy, I killed that sin. No, you didn't. You just traded, it, traded one in for the other. And now you have haughtiness. And now you have spiritual pride. One sin for the other. Only one person kills sin. And it's not you or I. It's the cross. Instead, what we want them to know is that God loves them because of grace. That God first loved, uh, loved us. He didn't begin loving us when we began to obey. When we began to clean up our act, that's not when he first began loving us. He first loved us. He loved us first with an absolute, can't get your mind around it, never quitting, never stopping, never giving up kind of love. John gives us an action to take in order to overpower fear. But he points out that the only power that, that makes defeating our fear possible is the perfect love of God. Our response to fear must not be passive. We can't just hope it goes away. We can't plug our ears and go la, 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 and expect it to go away. According to verse 18, it has to be expelled, evicted, kicked out. We don't take captive the thoughts of fear. Uh, if we don't, they will hold us in a stranglehold. We either kick it out or it will keep us from doing what God has called us to do. If we wait until conditions are perfect or the fear goes away before we start walking, before we start following and obeying and taking next steps, we will never start. And what we'll end up doing is walking by sight instead of by faith, which is exactly how the Bible calls us not to live. No one has gotten physically stronger by sitting. Some of, you will, some of us will sit down and um, watch strong men play a game today. None of us will get stronger watching them. None of us will. Um, maybe some of you will prove me wrong today, but I don't think so. The same is true with our spiritual lives, our faith muscles. The only way to get stronger is to work out, get moving. We don't kick fear out of our hearts by being passive or avoiding fears that, as if they're not there. Instead, we take them captive. We, we make them obedient to Christ. We, we bring them under the authority of His Word. I was talking to a friend this last week, and she was reading this book that shares about how, how God miraculously met the needs of, mission, of a missionary and just did some supernatural things in a person's life in the midst of some very risky, walking-by-faith kind of moments. 
things that couldn't be written off by coincidence or, oh yeah, that just kind of happenstance. Instead, it was clearly God at work. And my friend was saying, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see kind of faith in action and be there. I just don't want to be in such a risky situation. And then she laughed out loud because it's just completely ironic, such a statement. It's impossible to have both. And some of you are trying to have both in your life right now. It's impossible. It's impossible to have complete comfort and walk by faith. It's completely impossible to have complete safety and trust God in the unknown. It's impossible to know exactly how it's going to work out. And Well, this is my formula and this is my outline. I'm on step three. It should be step four after that. It's completely impossible to have that and have faith in God. Faith is the force that drives us against our fears. It, it drives up against our fear. And again, our faith is not in ourselves, but, but our faith is in God. But I will tell you sometimes, because I'll tell you sometimes, the Holy Spirit exposes me that when I'm fearful, it's because the root cause of it is I'm putting faith in me. I'm putting faith in my own heart instead of God. And the solution is not found in us. It's our God. We must elevate God to his rightful place. 1 John 4.18 tells us that the, the, only, uh, the only thing that's going to expel fear is the full-grown love of God. Again, that power is not found apart from Christ. It's found in loving God, in Christ. And the trump card for today is this truth. God says he will. That in the spite of fears that, that may try to hold us in, we are reminded of the, God, of the trump card that God says he will. That if we're in Christ and we're living in reverence to him, he is the, he is the Lord and Savior of our lives, that will trump any fear that we may have. That his word trumps it. And I just want to remind you of a handful of these. God says he will be my cornerstone, 1 Peter 2.6. God says he will give me peace that surpasses understanding, Philippians 4, 7. God says he will meet my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 19. God says he will make his grace sufficient in our weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God says he will make a way of escape in the midst of the greatest temptations, including that one, whichever loophole you just try to throw up in your mind. 1 Corinthians 10.13, God says he will give us a victory over death through Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.57, God says he will make us wiser, stronger, more mature, and joyful even through a trial, especially through a trial, James 1, 2 through 5. God says he will draw near to me even when I am brokenhearted. That's Psalm 34.18. God says he will draw close to me as I draw near to him, James 4, 7 and 8. God says he will be faithful to complete the work in me, Philippians 1.6. God says he will work all things together for my good, Romans 8.28. God says he will help me in my time of need, Hebrews 4.16. God says he will lift my head, Psalm 3.3. God says he will be my living hope despite suffering, despite persecution, 1 Peter 1.3. God says he will protect me. Psalm 32.7, God says he will make a, way, make a home for us in heaven for those who are in Christ, John 14, 2 and 3. In the midst of the most scary what if we can hold on to, God says he will. And some of you, you've walked through or you are walking through some extremely difficult what ifs. Or maybe you might someday, maybe you will later today or six months from now. 
And I pray that in the face of the what ifs of what if we lose the baby? What if I have cancer? What if my spouse dies before I do? What if I, I don't have a job tomorrow? What if I leave my job tomorrow? What if I, I never find someone to marry? What if my child turns their back on the Lord and just runs? In the face of the what ifs, we might, we might be reminded that God says he will. God will still be God. God will still be the source of hope even in the midst of great pain. God will still be leading you. He will not have forsaken you. God's light will still pierce that darkness. God will still be on his throne. He will still be reigning and ruling. God's perfect love will still trump any of our fears. John Piper says this, the presence of hope in the invincible sovereignty of God drives out fear. Four years ago, we got a dog. Her name is Illini. And she is a Maltese, and she's probably five pounds soaking, soaking wet, maybe with weights on her ankles as well. Um, one thing we've noticed with her in, in playing with her, because you run these experiments with your pets, these kind of things, <clears throat> is if she has a blanket or something over a shirt, frankly, anything will cover her body. Um, but if she has something covering her and, her and her eyes and her head, she will literally just stand there. She, she won't back out. She won't try to get the thing off of her. Um, she won't try to move. Again, it, like, it could cover her head, not her body. She could back out three inches. It'd be fine. She won't. She's just stuck there. This is the experience we run at the Steinbeck Institute. Um, fear is, is like a blanket that gets thrown on top of our head. And our response to the what-ifs just paralyze us. They just hold us here, and we're unwilling to move. We're unwilling to walk by faith. It, they keep us from obeying our God and following where He leads us. Here's some better what-if questions. What if I don't obey God? And by doing so, what if I miss out on this adventure of following Him? What if I miss out on a blessing? What if I miss out on God's eternal plan for my life? What if I miss out on the joy that it is knowing that He's in control and I'm not? What if I miss out on how God wants to use me? What if I've underestimated how God could use a broken vessel like me? What if I miss out on how God wants to shape my heart through a full-on day-in and day-out surrender to Him? What if by obeying Him now, my marriage and family tree will be forever changed because of it? What if in surrender, there's freedom? What if by trusting in Him, that addiction gets broken? These are much more important and valid what-ifs that we should consider. Some of you are paralyzed by your fears or the what-ifs when it comes to getting baptized, giving generously, serving, getting involved in community, sharing your faith with a friend, and you are literally, you're stuck. Whatever next step is before you. And I pray that stronghold is shattered in your life today. Imagine the disciples for a minute. We sang about it today. Jesus dies on Friday. He's buried in a tomb. What if we followed him for no reason? What, what if there was no purpose to the last three plus years of our life? What if he died and that's that? What if they come to kill us next? But then you know the story. Even if you don't know Jesus, you know the story. 
Easter morning. He rises from the dead just as he promised, conquering death for all who would believe and, and, and follow him. And knowing that Jesus beat the one thing that had beaten, that, that no one thought could be beaten, we place our trust in him. And you look at the way of life of the, of the early church, and they were fearless. They were courageous. They were bold. They were willing to and ready to risk it all. Many died for their faith. They walked by faith, not because they were superhuman, not at all, but because they'd seen and witnessed Jesus having said, He will, and He did. He rose from the dead, and the resurrection changed everything. Imagine, Crosspoint, what a church that is fearless would do. See, I believe it's been happening for 11 plus years now. I believe the temptation, though, is, is we shrink back. Sometimes we need uh, uh, just uh, a church that is fearless is willingly, uh, willing to collectively walk by faith. Hype, imagine how your schools would change if you were fearless. A church that just lovingly shares the good news and proclaims that Jesus saves and he still changes lives and you, you're not beyond the grace of God. See, we won't be boxed in by any fear because he first loved us with his perfect love and such perfect love kicks out fear and compels us to go. Just like when I was in basketball camp with that kid, this buddy of mine, I don't even know his name, he uh, called me out on this broken course that I kept singing over and over. Sometimes we need this wise counsel that calls things out in our lives. So one next step that I want you to take and I want myself to take this week is to ask a trusted, believing friend, a family member, someone who loves you enough, and to ask them, what fears do you see in my life? What are the what-ifs that are kind of like this blanket over me and have me stuck or paralyzed? And that's going to be vulnerable because you're going to hear some truth spoken in love. But do it anyways. It's going to be good for your soul. And the Holy Spirit just might speak to you through that friend. In your program, you've got an insert that has some next steps to take as well. A Bible reading plan with seven chapters throughout Old Testament, New Testament, speaking of fear. I encourage you to read that if you're a parent. Read that with a child. If you're a fr you know, just friends, read that together. Talk about what you're learning. And then there's also a verse to memorize and a prayer based off Psalm 56. It says this, Jesus, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. You are who I praise, and in you I trust and I'm not afraid. And with that truth in mind, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we, I, I just pray just that uh, you would love us enough to expose the fear in us. Whatever the what-ifs are that are holding us back from obeying you or from following you or from, for, from being used by you, I pray you would expose those and, and speak life into those areas. Trump those with your, the truth of your word. Where we're afraid, God, we, we collectively confess that we trust in you. You are who we praise. You are who we worship. And we worship you because you first loved us, because you're that good. Your nature and character is that perfect. I pray that your perfect love would expel and drive out and evict any fear in us and that this week you would spur us on to take a next step to, to walk in faithfulness to you and not be paralyzed by anything else. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.